Chapter Twenty Nine of Delorme by G. P. R. James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Nine. That, sir, is one of the most assured rogues in Paris," said the grocer. "He has once been at the galleys for seven years, and will very soon be there again. How you happened to fall in with such a fellow, I do not at all understand." I explained to the shopkeeper the circumstances, and he shook his head gravely at the name of the inn. "'It has not a good reputation,' said he. "'And as to its being the best in Paris,' he added with a laugh, "'we Parisians would be very much ashamed of it if it was. However, sir, as you want to go to the Palais Cardinal, my boy shall conduct you there, and though I wish to take away no one's character, be upon your guard at your inn.' There are many ways of plundering a stranger in this good city, and if you need any assistance, send to me, though I am very bold to say so, for a gentleman of your figure must have many friends here, doubtless. Only I know something of the good people where you lodge, and, possibly, might manage them better than another. I thanked him for his kindness most sincerely, for though, perhaps, ever too much accustomed to rely upon myself, yet i will own there was a solitary desolateness of feeling crept about my heart in that great city which made it a relief to feel that there was somebody who took even a transient interest in me and to whom i could apply for advice or aid in case i needed it after taking down my new friend's address i followed his shop-boy out into the street and we pursued our way towards the palais cardinal exactly retreading the steps which my former valiant guide had made me take all the way we went the lad chattered with true parisian activity of tongue telling a thousand curious and horrible tales of the great but cruel man that i was about to see and relating all the anecdotes of the day concerning his dark and mysterious policy no one knows said the boy why he does anything or how he does anything it was only last week that the strangest thing happened in the world. You have heard of the great wood of Marly, monsieur. Well, one of the cardinal's servants was ordered on Thursday last week to take an ass loaded with pure gold into that wood and go on upon the road till he met a man who asked him if the sun shone at midnight and then give him the ass's bridle and come away. So the servant went in and after going a mile or more he met a tall, fine man, somewhat dark, however, who asked him, Does the sun shine at midnight? So the servant said nothing but gave him the bridle. The stranger was not satisfied with that, but counted all the bags of gold upon the ass's back, and then told the servant to take it to the person who had sent it, and say that he had counted and watched, but the sun did not shine at midnight yet. So then the servant did as he bade him, and took it back to the cardinal, who put two more sacks upon the ass and sent the lackey back again when he met the same man and everything passed as before except that when he had counted the gold the stranger shouted ha ha the sun shines at midnight and jumping upon the donkey's back he gave him a kick with his foot which made him gallop as quick as any horse and the servant never saw them any more lord lord is that not very strange monsieur continued the boy and creeping close to me he added they say that the tall stranger was the devil and that the cardinal had made a bargain with him that if he would give him all the wit he desired hell should have his soul at the end of twenty years 
but when the twenty years were out he wanted very much a few years more so that he was obliged to make a new bargain and pay a good round sum as interest upon his bond the conclusion of the boy's story brought us to the end of the rue saint honore and shortly after he pointed out the façade of the palais cardinal having rewarded him with a crown and sent him away very well contented i gazed up at the splendid building before me whose grand features massed together in the darkness seemed almost as frowning and gloomy as a prison the news which i brought however i was sure would be acceptable and therefore walking on i was about to approach the house when i was challenged by a sentinel i told him my business and requested he would show me my way to any of the offices for i perceived no ready means of gaining admission the soldier passed me on to another who again passed me on to the corps de garde from whence i was taken to a small door and delivered as a bale of goods into the hands of a grim-looking man who told me at once that i could not see the minister who was abroad at the moment pray what is your business with his eminence demanded the porter it is business replied i with which you my friend can have no concern and business of such import that i must stay till i see him come with me said the porter after thinking a moment and he then led me across a court wherein a carriage was standing with horses harnessed and torches burning at the doors monsieur de noyer one of the secretaries of state is here he added seeing me remark the carriage and you can speak with him my business is with his eminence the cardinal replied i and with him alone well come with me come with me said the porter if your business be really important you must see some one who is competent to speak on it and if it be not important you had better not have come here thus saying he led me into a small hall and thence into a cabinet beyond hung with fine tapestry and lighted by a single silver lamp here he bade me sit down and left me in a few minutes a door on the other side of the room opened and a cavalier entered dressed in a rich suit of black velvet with a hat and plume he was tall thin and pale with a clear bright eye and fine decided features his beard was small and pointed and his face oval and somewhat sharp and though there was a slight stoop of his neck and shoulders as if time or disease had somewhat enfeebled his frame yet it took nothing from the dignity of his demeanour he started and seemed surprised at seeing any one there but then immediately advanced and looked at me for a moment with a glance which read deeply whatever lines it fell upon who are you demanded he what do you want what paper is that in your hand my name replied i is louis count de lorme my business is with the cardinal de richelieu and this paper is one that i am charged to deliver into his hand give it to me said the stranger holding out his hand my eye glanced over his unclerical habiliments and i replied you must excuse me this paper and the farther news i bring can only be given to the cardinal himself it shall go safe he answered in a stern tone give it to me young sir there was an authority in his tone that almost induced me to comply but reflecting that i might be called to a severe account by the unrelenting minister even for a mere error in judgment i persisted in my original determination i must repeat answered i that i can give this to no one but his eminence himself without an express order 
from his own hand to do so Pshaw! cried he with something of a smile and taking up a pen which lay with some sheets of paper on the table he dipped it in the ink and scrawled in a large bold hand deliver your packet to the bearer richelieu i made him a low bow and placed the letter in his hands he read it with the quick and intelligent glance of one enabled by long habit to recollect and arrange the ideas conveyed to him with that clear rapidity possessed alone by men of genius in the meantime i watched his countenance seeking to detect amongst all the lines with which years and thought had channelled it any expression of the stern vindictive despotic passions which the world charged him withal and which his own action sufficiently evinced it was not there however all was calm suddenly raising his eyes his look fell full upon me as i was thus busily scanning his countenance and i know not why but my glance sunk in the collision ha said he rather mildly than otherwise you are gazing at me very strictly sir are you a reader of countenances not in the least monseigneur replied i i was but learning a lesson to know a great man when i see one another time that answer sir would make many a courtier's fortune said the minister nor shall it mar yours though i understand it remember flattery is never lost at a court tis the same there as with a woman if it be too thick she may wipe some of it away as she does her rouge but she will take care not to brush off all to be detected in flattery has something in it so degrading that the blood rushed up into my cheek with the burning glow of shame a slight smile curled the minister's lips come sir he continued i am going forth for half an hour but i may have some questions to ask you therefore i will beg you to wait my return do not stir from this spot there you will find food for the mind he proceeded pointing out a small case of books in other respects you shall be taken care of i need not warn you to discretion you have proved that you possess that quality and i do not forget it thus speaking he left me and for a few minutes i remained struggling with the flood of turbulent thoughts which such an interview pours upon the mind this then was the great and extraordinary minister who at that moment held in his hands the fate of half europe the powers of whose mind like niorda the tempest god of the ancient gauls raised guided and enjoyed the winds and the storms triumphing in the thunders of continual war and the whirlwinds of political intrigue in a short time two servants brought in a small table of lapis lazuli on which they proceeded to spread various sorts of rare fruits and wines putting on also a china cup and a vase which i supposed to contain coffee a beverage that i had often heard mentioned by my good preceptor father francis who had tasted it in the east but which i had never before met with all this was done with the most profound silence and with a gliding ghost-like step which must certainly have been learned in the prisons of the inquisition at length one of these stealthy attendants desired me in the name of his lord to take some refreshment and then with a low reverence quitted the cabinet as if afraid i should make him any answer i could not help thinking as they left me what a system of terror must that be which could drill any two frenchmen into silence like this however i approached the table and indulged myself 
with a cup of most exquisite coffee after which i examined the bookcase and glancing my eye over histories and tragedies and essays and treatises i fixed at length upon ovid from a sort of instinctive feeling that the mind when it wishes to fly from itself and the two sad realities of human existence assimilates much more easily with anything imaginative than with anything true i was still reading and though sometimes falling into long lapses of thought i was nevertheless highly enjoying the beautiful fictions of the poet when the door was again opened and the minister reappeared i instantly laid down the book and rose but pointing to a chair he bade me be seated and taking up my book turned over the pages for a few moments while a servant brought him a cup of fresh coffee and a biscuit are you fond of ovid demanded he at length and then without allowing me time to reply he added he is my favourite author i read him more than any other book the tone which he took was that of easy common conversation which two persons perfectly equal in every respect might be supposed to hold upon any indifferent subject and i of course answered in the same ovid i said is certainly one of my favourite poets but i am afraid of reading him so often as i should wish for there is an enervating tendency in all his writings which i should fear would greatly relax the mind it is for that very reason that i read him replied the minister it is alone when i wish for relaxation that i read and then after every thought having been in activity for a whole long day ovid is like a bed of roses to the mind where it can repose itself and recruit its powers of action for the business of another this was certainly not the conversation which i expected and i paused without making any reply thinking that the minister would soon enter upon those important subjects on which i could give the best and latest information but on the contrary he proceeded with ovid there is a constant struggle continued he between feeling and reason in the human breast in youth it is wisely ordained that feeling should have the ascendancy and she rules like a monarch with an imagination for her minister though by the way he added with a passing smile so slight that it scarcely curled his lip though by the way the minister is often much more active than the monarch in after years when feeling has done for man all that feeling was intended to do and carried him into a thousand follies eventually very beneficial to himself and to the human race reason succeeds to the throne to finish what feeling left undone and to remedy what she did wrong now you are in the age of feeling and i am in the age of reason and the consequence is that even in reading such a book as ovid what we cull is as different as the wax and the honey which the bee gathers from the same flower what touches you is the wit and brilliancy of the thought the sweetness of the poetry the bright and luxurious pictures which are presented to your imagination while all that affects me little and shadowed through a thousand splendid allegories i see great and sublime truths robed as it were by the verse and the poetry in a radiant garment of light what can be a truer picture of an ambitious and a daring minister than ixion embracing a cloud and he looked me full in the face with a smile of melancholy meaning to which i did not well know how to reply i have certainly never considered of it in that light replied i and i have to thank your eminence for the pleasure i shall doubtless enjoy in tracing the allegories throughout 
the thanks are not my due replied the minister an english statesman near a century ago wrote a book upon the subject and showed his own wisdom while he pointed out that of the ancients in england the reign of reason is much stronger than it is with us in france though they may be considered as a younger people then does your eminence consider demanded i that the change from feeling to reason proceeds apace with the age of nations as well as with men in general i think it does replied he nations set out bold generous hasty carried away by impulse rather than by thought easily led but not easily governed gradually however they grow politic careful anxious to increase their wealth somewhat indolent till at length they creep into their dotage even like men but he added after a pause the world is too young for us to talk about the history of nations all we know is that they have their different characters like different men and of course some will preserve their vigour longer than others some will die violent deaths some end by sudden diseases some by slow decay a hundred thousand years hence men may know what nations are and judge what they will be it suffices at present to know our contemporaries and to rule them by that knowledge and now monsieur le comte de Longue, i thank you for a pleasant hour and i wish you good night of course you are still at an inn when you have fixed your lodging leave your address here and you shall hear from me in the meanwhile farewell of course i rose and taking leave quitted the palais cardinal what it may be asked without one word on the important business which had brought you there without a word the name of catalonia was never mentioned and yet the very next day large bodies of men marched upon roussillon more were instantly directed thither from every part of the country the fleet in the mediterranean sailed for barcelona and in a space of time inconceivably brief catalonia was furnished with every supply necessary to carry on a long and active war End of chapter twenty nine